0: I'm just going to go to one verse of scripture to start off here in 2 Peter. We've started this series on the Baptist distinctives. Last week, I just talked a little bit of some introductory thoughts. I didn't really go in depth into any of the distinctives at all, I'll just kind of mention them so you know, you know what we're dealing with here. And of course, that doesn't mean that's an exhaustive list either, right? In the statement of faith, if you look at our Constitution statement of faith, if you're a member, you'll have one of those. And uh, within that, we'll, there's a page there on the historical Baptist distinctives, and these are things that we hold to. And uh, so it's not just a name, it's, it's something that has some meaning to us. And uh, that's why, you know, I'm a Baptist not by preference, it's by conviction. I believe that we're holding to that which churches, from, from Jesus Christ on, held to. And of course, everyone is independent, everyone is... Uh, has their own little nuances and their own little way and just like we do. Uh, we're different than the churches in Calgary. We're different than the churches in Edmonton and that's, that's okay. You can be different but the doctrine is the same. <laughs> Amen. And so, uh, you know, as, as the church grew throughout the centuries, even that is being discovered. The study of scripture and the study of doctrines and things just began to evolve and, and lear, people began to learn deeper things of scripture. Uh, you know, even Uh, I don't think they were prepared for it in the 1800s, what happened, you know, especially within the Baptist uh, uh, movement that existed in that time. And I don't think necessarily that was a uh, reflection of what we are. I think we broke out of that and became an independent. But what they did is they had a Baptist association. And they would have the regular Baptist, and then they'd have the particular Baptist. So there'd be two streams That would exist in England during that time Charles Spurgeon was a part of the one and he was a particular Baptist and they'd have the more Calvinistic leanings but the Calvinism of of that particular Baptist is different than some of the Calvinism you hear today it's not quite the same thing because he would weep and cry for people to come forward and and make a decision for Christ but nowadays the same Calvinism is well we don't really need to invite you because I mean if God chose you he chose you and so it's a really messed up situation. And so you got to be careful of certain Calvinistic leanings. Uh, John MacArthur is a Calvinist. Uh, you know, I know there's some good things he's written. i probably got books in my library by him. But you got to know what he is. And so don't be putting yourself on a regular diet of John MacArthur uh, because uh, there are some things, and I've saw many things uh, in relation to their doctrine that you ought not be giving yourself to. Amen. Even though some are Okay. You know, But who wants to pick through all of that? Amen? So you find yourself teachers that are in line with the Scriptures and not messing around with those type of doctrines because we're definitely not Calvinists here. We're not interested in entertaining that at all. All right. Some people say, well, there's a five points of Calvinism. I'm two of those. I'm none of those. In fact, all five of them, I reject them. Because if you would do a, an in-depth study of all five, you'd see that all five of them are tainted. Yeah, even the perseverance of the saints... You know, uh, there's two groups that, that, that have emerged, you know, within Christendom that uh, take on the teachings of a certain person. One is Calvinism, after John Calvin, who was a, a Roman Catholic priest who, who broke off, a Protestant. And then you'd have another one by the name of Jacob Arminius. And our, Arminianism is the teaching that you can lose your salvation or that's based on free will uh, to the extent that you choose whether you're going to be saved or not every day, you know. Calvinism is God chooses. Uh, Arminianism is that you only choose, and there's no balance between the two. And so many times if you, you'll bump into a German, uh, a German Baptist, they'll look at you and you'll say, I'm a Baptist. They'll say, are you Arminianist or Calvinist? Because they still see many times in those two streams. And you say, I'm neither. <laughs> well, what do you mean? <laughs> well, you see, this is it. With Calvinism, the perseverance of the saints is that you know that you're part of the elect by whether you're persevering or not. So when you're not persevering, you're not quite sure. And I've seen, I've heard great teachers, like the, the, the high teachers of the movement in Calvinism that doubted and began to doubt whether I'm really part of the elect because I feel at this moment I'm not persevering. And I'm sure in your life there's been times where you thought, I'm not persevering. And so it brings doubt of your salvation. So in the same way, Arminianism does the same thing. So when you look at both of these, they both have the same uh, focus where you don't really know whether you're part of the elect or not. You see, because even within Arminianism, you don't know how far you have to go before you lose your salvation. Nobody has that written down. There's nothing in the scripture, of course, that tells you that. So they begin to give you these ideas. Well, this and that, and maybe this and maybe that. Well, that's a whole lot of doubt for me. And that's not the way that God wants us to live our lives. So I don't believe in the perseverance of the saints, even though we will persevere. I believe in the preservation of the saints, the preservation. So no matter how you feel, no matter how you're on the top or the bottom, your salvation is based upon a promise that God gave you, not some feeling or something you're producing. So that's why I say both of these movements are both based upon man you know, and your assurance of that salvation is based upon man. And so it it is really a messed up situation. So we're not Arminiist or Calvinist. Uh, We believe in the preservation of scripture. We believe in the preservation of the saints. And we believe that our salvation is not based on our performance. It's based upon the promises of the word of God. Amen. No matter what you feel like, Because sometimes you feel that you're at the bottom, sometimes you feel at the top. Isn't it great that his promises are constant and consistent throughout your life, no matter what you feel like? That, my friend, is biblical truth. Amen? So that's why I I, I don't claim to be any point Calvinist at all, because I'm not. I don't follow a man by the name of John Calvin, just because he thought he could figure it all out, you know? Uh, and and sovereign the sovereignty of God, it does not violate the sovereignty of God. In fact, I'll tell you something, the sovereignty of God is is far more powerful when you see that a God can work within the free will of man and still accomplish his purpose in spite of your decisions. So he doesn't have to control you, he doesn't have to make you a robot, he doesn't have to, uh, you know, force his sovereign will on you. But even within your free will, God can work a situation. Let's say you're not willing to go. Well, he knows that somebody would be. And so he'll work for that person to go where maybe you are supposed to go. And that's why the Bible says make sure or take heed that nobody take your reward. Because there's a a place that God has for you, but you can say no. Amen? So what God will do is say, okay, I plan for you to have this. Well, I'm just going to take it. I'm going to give it to this person because they're willing of their free will to do the will of God. Amen. And so that's why just do the will of God, whatever it requires, wherever it asks you to go, you just go. That is the safest place for you to be. Amen. Anyways, second Peter one says this for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy ghost. And so, what we know is this the Word of God did not come from man. It did not come from our reasoning and our intellect. It came from heaven. And it did not come from the will of man whatsoever. And so, a lot of the aspect of authority or biblical authority is, is, is really submitting to this aspect of revelational authority. And if you look at any debate with creationists, uh, these scientists that are against God or for evolution, they hate the aspect that they have to submit to something that is not born of earth or born of matter, but it's invisible and it's revelational, amen? And that bothers them. They don't want to submit to an invisible God, something they can't see in front of their face. And so they come up with all kinds of ideas as to why they don't have to, amen? And so uh, I want to talk a little bit. Let's have a word of prayer and then we'll, we'll get on with this. Father, I just ask that you would just bless this time together, Lord, as we look at the biblical authority Uh, within the Baptist distinctives, and Lord, that you would help us just to develop a stronger foundation of authority in our life. Thank you, dear God, for your word. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first thing I just want to mention is the place of Scripture in your lives. This is what it's all about. What place does the Bible have with you? Well, if you want to know what place the Bible should have with you, you've got to first look at what place the Bible has with God. (laughs) Amen. Uh, Psalm 138, verse 2, it says, I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth, for thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. So God puts the word on a very high level. It is magnified. And so the world doesn't like the magnified word of God. Uh, Even Christians don't like sometimes the aspect of magnifying the word of God. I remember we had, uh, I had one time uh, in our our statement of faith in my last church, of course, with ours as well, the first, the number one position or the number one statement of faith that we we say is our place of the scriptures, the, the word of God. And I remember I had a call one time, but someone that belonged to the Catholic church that was angry that we would put the Bible as number one because God should be number one. Jesus should be number one. Now, that sounds good. That sounds spiritual. But can I tell you something? The Bible says that he magnified his word above his name. Now, why is that? Because the only way you're ever going to know God is through his word. (laughs) And what you believe about God's word is going to be how you believe about God. And the problem today is people are developing their own idea of who God really is. You take the word right out, and now God's just up for grabs. I mean, whatever you want him to be. But when you make the word of God your primary focus... Now you can get an accurate description of who God is. And remember, that's what I always tell you. There's two things you need to let God exclusively do. And that's tell you who he is and and let him tell you who you are. Those are the two problem areas in any human's life. If you can get those things right and let God tell you who he is by his word and then in return also tell you who you are, guess what would not happen? You wouldn't have all these things happening on the news saying, you need to call me she, her, him, this, that, whatever. I mean, it's just getting crazy out there. But that's because they're saying, God, this is who I am. But they ought to just say, God, tell me who I am. Wouldn't that just make their life a whole lot easier? That's really the answer for them. To say, you know what, I know you think you know who you are, but you don't. You need to let God tell you who you are and you'll be happy amen, because then you'll be fulfilling what God designed you to be, you know. And so those two things are are absolutely vital. So this doctrine teaches that the Word of God must be our final authority. Uh, Now, I'm not saying that there's another authority by saying final authority. I'm just saying that when it's all said and done, if you talk to this authority, that authority, and this authority, and that authority, that it falls down to the Bible. That means no matter what it feels like, no matter what people say to you, whether you lose friends, family, uh, who, whatever it may be, if at the end of that conversation you go to the Bible and says, hey, you need to take this stand, you better make the Bible your final authority. God. Otherwise, what happens is you've stopped, you, you are not taking the Bible as your final authority, and something else has gained that place. So, or, or maybe it's your own self, something in you, your feelings, or your fear, or you don't want to lose this friendship or whatever it is. And that can become, for the rest of your life, your basis for authority. And so you have to go to the Bible and set feelings aside, uh, set cost aside, you know, because the devil, right, oh, that's going to cost you this, that's going to cost you, well, he wouldn't expect me to do this, da-da-da. And all your reasoning will become your authority rather than the Word of God. Amen. So Baptists have, throughout the centuries, held to the fact that the Bible is the final authority on all matters of life. In this world and in the next. Amen? And so let's make sure we operate that way. And so it doesn't matter whether it's pastors, evangelists, conscience, emotions, experience, opinions, counsels, authorities, uh, important people, rich people, I don't care who it is, eyewitnesses that say something opposite to the Bible, I just say, you're a liar, God forbid, let every man be a liar, Uh, let God be true and every man a liar. I'll get it right yet, amen? So the essence of why the Baptists existed in the first place was because of the allowed creeds, the popes, and even the church taking the authority higher than the scripture. So what we had to do is develop an idea of, you know what, We, we cannot take the pope's authority We cannot even take the church's authority over the Scripture. Amen? And so, like I said, all of these doctrines that become our historical narratives, our our historical principles, are born in the blood of of Baptists and blood of Christians because it costs them. It costs them their lives. And and by making this statement saying biblical authority, they're saying, I'm willing to go to the stake. (laughs) Man, you talk about paying a price. Today, we don't even want to lose a friend, you know? Can you imagine meeting God and all these great Christians standing there that have given their lives for, for the cause of Christ and you're there? You couldn't even give up anything for the Lord? Mm. Re-reasoning in your brain how that, oh no, we can't, God wouldn't expect us to pay a price. Well, then what did he mean by taking up your cross? Yeah. Amen. <clears throat> he says, you want to be a Disciple. You have to deny yourself. Take up your cross. Amen? That's what these guys did when they went to the stake. That was their final cross. That wasn't the end. That wasn't the only cross. They carried the cross before that date. They suffered greatly until that point. They had many choices that they could have made to get out of that suffering. And yet they chose to continue. And we're not just talking about older people here. I've got stories of children. Children that gave their lives for the cause of Christ. Eight-year-old, nine-year-old kids. Oh, well, the Lord wouldn't expect. Why not? The Lord doesn't look at this life nearly as valuable as the next. And if you give your life for this, in this life for Him, uh, He's just saying, praise God, because in the next, I'll reward you. Amen? And so be careful of, of giving up your, your future blessing with the Lord Jesus Christ for whatever you think has become your authority in life today. Your biblical authority will bring you to the place that God has designed for your life. And I'll tell you something, each one of us will suffer in some way for God's glory. And if you can't handle that, you cannot be a disciple of Jesus. You just can't. You can be a Christian, you can be saved, but you can't be a disciple. You know, and and that's sad because you know what? All you're ever going to do is be a thorn in the side of those that want to be disciples because you can't just bear to see someone else paying a price that you're not willing to pay. (laughs) Amen? Now, I'm saying this from experience because this is what I've seen. (laughs) Somebody's willing to give it all. Well, you don't have to go that far. You don't have to be a fanatic about this. Well, I don't think anybody's been too far a fanatic yet for God. They would have said the same thing about Jesus. You know, why did you go so far? You know, he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And so the place of the scriptures in life, it's so important. If the Lord magnified his word above his name, I think we ought to magnify the word of God definitely above our name, you know. And I don't know how far above God's name he elevated, but I all I know is this, that without that word, I would not know who God is. And I don't want to know anything about God that comes from any other source than that word. Amen? Yeah. And that's what we've got to start thinking here. Let God tell us who he is. Amen? That's why many times you'll you meet up a Jehovah's Witness and they'll say, oh, this triune God is just a three-headed monster. Because they can't understand how three persons can be one God. And this is what I always tell them. I said, stop defining God like you think you know who he is. You don't understand the one God, and you don't understand how God can be one and yet be three, but He is. Yeah. And one thing I'm not willing to do is put my reason above the Scripture, yeah. but that's what they do, and that's how they argue. They argue based upon reason, because their authority is not the Scripture, and we've, we've proven that, because that when it came down to it, they changed the Scripture to suit their reasoning. Yeah. So their reasoning has become their authority not the Word of God. And so what you're doing is when you're arguing with someone like this, you need to understand you're not arguing from a basis of final authority of the Scripture. You're arguing with their reason. Amen? The thing about reason is it's hard to battle somebody who has reasoned something out to make sense to them. Because if they're not willing to say, you know even though this doesn't make sense, I'm willing to submit to it, then they'll never believe. And you'll feel you lost the argument, but you didn't. Because you walked away believing what the Bible says. You're always a winner. Amen. Amen. So the power of Scripture as well. So the authority, the word authority just means the legal power or the right to command or to act as an authority of a prince over subjects, of parents over children, power, rule, or sway. So it's who you're giving the, the sway to rule your life. The king that is allowed to tell you what to do. That's what authority is. And we know also authority isn't just about telling you what to do, but you also understand within the aspect of authority, especially within the scripture, you see that authority is given for a reason, and that is for your protection. So when you look at governmental, parental, and all that, it's all about them protecting you. So when you leave off from the Bible, the, the biblical authority with your children, you've stopped protecting them. You start going to reason, or just wanting to be their friend, or not wanting them to get mad at you, or not wanting them to leave because you're taking a stand upon truth, you've now changed your final authority. Amen? And I'm sorry, it's not going to turn out well, (laughs) even though they like you. (laughs) Because that sin in them, it doesn't have a a line that's going to stop. It's going to continue to eat away until all has been corrupted. It's a cancer. And that's why you have to draw the line. That's why you have to say, no, this is not allowed. That's why you have to take stands, in, even in your own home, and say, no, this is not allowed here, you see. Otherwise, what you've done is you've changed your authority. Now you're basing your decisions not upon the final word of God, you're basing it upon the way you feel, or your reasoning, or how you computed in your mind how this works better for us. But you know what? It's not going to work with God. He is going to reveal that at the judgment seat of Christ, you know, so let's get it right, amen, amen. So the power of Scripture, 2 Timothy 3.16, it says this, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. So how much Scripture is given by inspiration of God? All. all. you got to be careful those corrupt new versions. They don't say this. It says all Scripture that is given is inspired of God. And so now it's, it's like, okay, let's not go too far with this statement here. Now this passage, it starts with talking about Timothy that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation. And, and so he's talking about the scriptures that Timothy had that made him wise to be saved. And that was the Old Testament scriptures of that day. It was not the original autographs. It was not the original copies. In fact, these are copies of copies. We're talking thousands of copies later. And yet the Lord says they were scripture. And so these scriptures that were copies and copies later are also called, also said to be given by inspiration of God. Inspiration is theonoustos, which means God breathed. So I'm going to tell you something. The word of God is God breathed. Nowadays, there's an argument with people saying, you know, it doesn't really matter. Uh, You know, there's no real Bible that that is perfect anymore. And they don't even want to call it inspired anymore. Oh, it's not inspired. Well, then what do you have? Is not all Scripture inspired? Is this Scripture? So let's call it, is it Scripture? Then it's inspired. If it's not Scripture, it's not inspired. So if you've got the guts to say this is Scripture, you better have the guts also to say that it's inspired. Amen? Amen? Or, or, or stop thinking too much. <laughs> you know? Stop letting these higher critics dictate the way you formulate your ideas according to the word of God because that all happened the late 1800s with that downgrade controversy that crept into the good Bible-believing churches and they began to doubt the flood they began to doubt the literal eternal hell they began to doubt all these things and you know what they didn't even understand the need to fight for a perfect Bible because they had a perfect Bible None of them were saying we don't have a perfect Bible. They just began to doubt what the Bible said. And then all of a sudden we began to make Bibles that weren't the same. That was right on the heels of the beginning of that downgrade controversy. And then the the corrupt text got mixed in with the next English version. After the King James Bible, the first English version that was made was made from different texts than the one the King James was made of. And every English version since that day has brought in other texts than the King James Bible. This is the only Bible in the English language that used exclusively the received text—the text that was received for centuries and thousands of years. Now all of a sudden, we find a text in a garbage can. We find a text in the monastery. Oh, these got to be these two didn't even agree with one another. They were both corrupt. They had portions missing that they just left out because they didn't like what it said. But they brought that into the translation process. Now now it's, we don't know. Now we don't know what is literal, what is grammatical, what is the real scripture. Because now we're just comparing and we're picking what we want instead of just holding to the texts that have always been received throughout the centuries. Amen? And so all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable that it's going to help you amen there's power in the word of god it's going to help you and there's a couple of things it's going to do no matter look what it says here for doctrine it's going to teach you what is right so when you want to know what is right you go to the bible you don't go ask your friend you don't go and talk to the the guru you don't go here there or the other you don't get a self-help book you go to the bible the Bible will tell you what the doctrine is, the teaching, the right teaching of the Word of God. You will know what is right by the doctrine, amen? Yes. It's a rule that is set, it's a standard that cannot be moved, and that's why you need to go to the Bible to get your idea of what is right. It goes on to say, for reproof. Now, what's reproof? It reveals to you what is not right. Yeah. So at the same time you're going to the Bible to find out what is right, that same Bible is going to look back at you and say, hey, that's not right. And it's going to reprove you. And that's why many times even the preaching time, you're being reproved. We don't like that. Preacher, we're not supposed to reprove people. Yes, we are. It's a part of my job. It's not what you hired me to do. It's what he called me to do. I don't know what you thought when you hired me, but I'll tell you something. I don't really care. It's about what he told me to do. Preach the word in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine which means you can spend the next 30 years with a bunch of people that don't want to listen and don't want to do the Word of God, you go up there, you stand behind that pulpit, and you tell them what is right, and you tell them what is wrong. Yes. Amen. And when they're doing wrong, you rebuke them. Yes, sir. You say, stop doing that. I'm commanded by God to do that. It's not about my paycheck. It's not about whether you want me here or not. This is a call of the Almighty God of Heaven amen that's what we're here for rebuke (laughs) reproof well i don't like to be reproved (laughs) well get over your lie-based thinking and get it right because there's something wrong from your childhood you need to get right because reproof is a the bible says a wise man loves reproof a wise man wants to become wiser a wise man loves when someone instructs them and gives them a a more clear way uh, within the life that they're living A fool is the one that rejects instruction. Amen? Don't be a fool. (laughs) Receive it. Accept it. Don't criticize it. Thank God you have it. There's so many people in this world that would love to be reproved. (laughs) They don't even know how to be reproved. They're waiting for someone to tell them what's not right in my life. What's right and what's not right. It goes on to say, for correction, this is how to get right. So not only does it just tell you what is right and then, uh, you know, what is not right, but it's taking you from your position of not right. It says, this is how you're going to get it right. It's the correction aspect of it. Amen? That's why within a sermon, I'll tell you this, is, you, this is what confession of sin is. This is how you come before God. This is how you deal with it. This is how you change your life. This is, this is how you stop behaving in that way. That's correction. That's also a part of the word of God's purpose and a part of the preacher of God's purpose. Amen? So correction. Then it goes on to say, for instruction in righteousness. Now what is this? This is how to stay right. Say, well, preacher, I've, I've learned what's right. I've dealt with what I know is not right. I've, I've followed how to get right. Well, then let, now let me tell you how to stay right how to keep walking in the light, like I did this morning. All these elements were there within that message this morning. All of them. So all of these things were, were fulfilled in that message this morning if you just would listen. <laughs> I just don't get it, how in the invitation time, people kind of fall asleep, or they kind of, oh, oh, wait. some people just leave. The most important part of the service is the invitation time. Don't get up and leave. Yeah. Please don't. That, that insults me. That insults the word of God. That insults God himself. Here he's saying, there's something in you, either you need to know what is right, you need to know what is not right in you, you need to know how to get right, and if you think you're right, you, know how to, you need to know how to stay right. It's enough for you to stay and let God do that surgery in your heart, and after the preaching is done, you bow your head and you talk to God about those four things, and find out, where am I, God, in this thing? How? Or how do I stay right, God? I believe, I'm not under conviction that I'm sinning, but Lord, how do I continue? Don't just walk out of here. Invitation is the the most important part of the message. Without the drawing of the net, there's no fish. Amen? It's like fishing and spending all that time throwing out the lure, and then when it bites, you just let it go out. (laughs) No, the invitation is a very vital part. That's where you have to introspect. That's where you have to look at what God is pointing to and say, Lord, I need to deal with this, you know? And I know how it is, man. I'll tell you, the devil come in and say, oh, that's not that important. and Oh, well, we'll deal with that next week. Or, you know, I know how it is. That one thing that pops to the top of your head, it's so easy just to cover it up and put the cloud over top of it. But you know why the Lord brought it to the top of your head? He says he wants you to deal with it right now. But some people, well, I don't want to do that, so they kind of lose themselves in their thoughts They think about lunch. They leave the invitation, they go to the bathroom. Folks, you can wait five minutes to go to the bathroom. Amen. Amen. You understand what I'm saying here? I'm not saying if you really got to go to the bathroom, go to the bathroom, you know. <laughs> I don't want a mess happening here. <laughs> but you know, be honest with yourself. Be honest with yourself. Because you need it. There's not a person here that can say, Oh, I don't need this. I don't care if you're part of my family. I don't care if you're, you've been serving God for 30 years. Every person, every person, amen? We all can grow. We all can change. Every message we hear. You know, we got people, I listen online to this, that, and the other. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. If you would just do what God told you to do within the services of this church, you would be a brand new person. Yes. But we try to cloud that up. Well, I'm getting from everywhere. Man, you just do what you're told to do from the word of God and you'll become somebody that's really going to be used by the Lord. And that's what it says here. It says that the man of God may be perfect. That doesn't mean you're going to be without sin or without problems, but perfect means exactly where you should be at that point of your life. That's perfection, you know? And in some of us, we're perfect for where we were 10 years ago. Oh, we're perfect for where we were 40 years ago, you know? But no, we're talking about being perfect for today. Where God has you for today with the understanding and the light that he's given you. And you've acted upon what you've learned. There's all kinds of things you need to learn yet. Like even Jesus said, I have much to teach it to you, but you, know, you, can't, you cannot bear it now. But you know where they were? They were perfect. The Lord says, but I'm going to tell you some more stuff and then you're going to be perfect again. <laughs> you know, perfect in your understanding of the light that I've given you. And so that man of God may be perfect, truly furnished, through and through, totally furnished in your life to handle the problems. Like you're always losing control, always getting angry, always having this emotional outburst whenever something goes wrong or doesn't go the way you think it ought to go. Amen? That's because you're not furnished. You're not furnished to handle it. You've not allowed the Word of God to prepare you for some of those, those hits in your life. You, you don't realize that maybe God's in this thing. Maybe God has allowed this reversal of a job situation. Well, I guarantee you, God has allowed it for one of two reasons, either because he's trying to get your attention because you're not following him, or number two, maybe you are following him, and he says, I want to take you a little bit further. But there's never a time where you're all of a sudden, God just says, well, I don't know what's going on here, son. Uh, uh, I sure hope it turns out okay. But that's how we operate. (laughs) You understand that? No matter what the health problem is, no matter what the financial issue is, no matter what the family problem is, it's all about understanding and being furnished (laughs) throughly Not just externally, not just religiously, not just conforming to being a Christian that everybody thinks you ought to be and put on the mask every Sunday. I'm talking about internally being prepared for the the spiritual attacks on your life that are going to happen tomorrow and the day after and the day after that where you're going to respond in a way where God can use you as a powerful witness of His grace to this world. That's what the Word of God does. Amen? That's why we say that's our final authority. This is what it's all about. Amen. So I hope that helps you. We know that there's several authorities that are given to us in the scripture that fall underneath the the authority of scripture. We talked about that a little bit in Sunday school. I really encourage you, if you were not there in Sunday school, please come to Sunday school. Uh, For me, myself, I feel that it's probably one of the most powerful times throughout the week is that time in Sunday school. I've had two people in the last week saying, how do we get these videos? I need to get them and give them out and so forth, you know, because they understand this is, these are the keys that we need, you know. And folks, we need to understand that in submission, like I talked about this morning, it's not about submitting to a person, it's submitting through a person. In your government, Trudeau, who wants to submit to Trudeau? So we don't submit to Trudeau, we submit through Trudeau. Because we know through him, there's a God that's in control. Your husband, he, he I mean, he just doesn't make good decisions. <laughs> well, you don't submit to your husband, you submit through your husband. And you let God take control. That's a meek and quiet spirit. Amen? Not always freaking out. Oh, you, know, you, you can't make proper decisions. i got to take control. You're just a rebel. <laughs> you're not just a rebel against your husband, you're a rebel against God. Because you won't trust him. To work through even a weak leader. Amen. (laughs) That's very important. And so there's government, there's there's parental. I won't go through all these verses here. There's pastoral authority. Oh, our pastor, we don't need to listen. That's the one place we don't have authority. Yeah, the, the one place that is probably the most important place on this planet. People die and go to hell because we do not go out and tell people about Christ. Our our testimonies are turning people away from the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the one place we do not need to obey. My goodness, man. We can go to a and and we can put on their uniforms and we're all happy to put on a uniforms and we're all happy to put on McDonald's uniforms. We go to the RCMP, we put on RCMP uniforms. But guess what? Preacher says dress modestly, no way. Yeah. The most important place on this earth. Yeah. Way more than a There's souls on the balance. You need an authority spiritually. You need to listen to somebody about the things of God. And it's not left up to you because you're so spiritual, because you've been through so much. If that were so, he would have called you to pastor. Amen? And he didn't. And if you think that he brought you here by the will of God, guess what? He brought you here to listen and obey. Not to just be your own authority and do your own thing. And I don't want to say that as a, as a dictator because you know I'm not. <laughs> but when I'm opening up this word and preaching, my friend, you surely better listen. You surely better take it seriously and stop being so rebellious against the things of God. It's working against the very cause of Christ. Amen? Yeah. Lord, help us. But it's a one place. We'll obey a, a boss because it's a paycheck. We won't obey a pastor because somehow it's not giving me money. Oh, I'm going to tell you something. There's a lot more riding on your obedience in this church than money. It's your whole position in the millennial reign of Christ. It's the souls that are going to be saved through your life. It's everything. Far more important than your job. But that's why I keep telling people, you you can't serve two pastors. You can't serve the Lord and your boss. You got to choose one and then follow amen and i'll tell you something if i'm not following what the lord says and what comes out of my mouth is not what he has said you go ahead and you talk to me about that because i try very hard when i'm preaching not to read between the lines i simply read to you what the scripture says and i say this is what it says and this is what it means amen it keeps it pretty simple I know some preachers, they're, they're kind of all over the place and they're between the lines and this, that, and the other. You say, oh, I don't see that, but it sounds good. is good. I'm not interested in that. I'm not here to wow you. <laughs> I'm here to teach you the words of God and to make the sense thereof. Amen. So there is authority there. Uh, the scriptures, of course, have the highest place of authority. And we know that by even God saying, I've magnified my word above my name. So I have to submit to this book and what's in this book. It becomes a number one place in our statement of faith. No matter how many people get mad at us, you know, it has to be. He will magnify the law and make it honorable, the Bible says. So I know, man, I got a lot to say. <laughs> Let me give you uh, just one thought here. I want to reveal some false authorities and some authorities that, that are b- very basic, foundational as far as your philosophies are concerned. Now, these three things are basically where people come from because this makes sense to them. The first one is naturalism. Naturalism is the action or thought based on natural desires and instincts. So I'm going to obey whatever it is that I have a desire or naturally understand. Uh, This is what evolution is born of. It's natural authority. That means I will only submit to something that I can see and that I can figure out can happen from the things that I see. And that's why they reject an invisible God. And they reject that this comes from a divine source. Yeah. Amen? And that's why evolution is the only way. Even though science that they say they believe in opposes everything they say about evolution. Yep. <laughs> it's easily disprovable, but they will not listen. But we see more and more scientists that have been taught evolution now starting to think through it and say, you know what, evolution isn't true. You know, but you know what? If, if they don't believe there's a, an invisible, revelational authority, they're still going to keep hopping, looking for the, the meaning of life and the answer and never finding it. So naturalism. The second one is rationalism. This is the principle or practice of accepting reason as the only authority in determining one's opinions or course of action. Well, that's just not reasonable. <laughs> Go to the Bible. I challenge you to mark down every time God asked somebody to do something that seemed unreasonable. I'll tell you what. There's this ocean over there, the sea. I just want you to walk through that. Yeah. These priests with the ark on their back, just put your foot in there. <laughs> you know, like that's not reasonable. That was a complete submission to a revelational authority. Complete submission to revelational authority. And based on that, the natural Life or the natural uh, uh, matter fell in line with the revelational authority. Yeah, amen. The sea parted. Amen? So to them, the sea never parts. It's all rational. To them, there are no miracles. It's all explainable. Amen? Now, you got to be careful because there's uh, people out there that have all kinds of ideas of what is a miracle and what's not. Just because you see Jesus' face on a piece of toast... May make you a few bucks. I seen it put it on eBay or whatever, trying to get the largest bid, you know, or the shroud of Turin. Oh, it gotta be Jesus. No, it's not. <laughs> you know, it's not. This is a separation between senses and knowledge, not allowing room for miracles. If it's not reasonable, it's not true. So this kind of person cannot logically see a miracle. That's why Jesus, even within his own, his own place that he lived in Nazareth, you know, he could not do many wonderful works there because of their unbelief. You see, they were, they were reasonable. <laughs> even though they knew better, I mean, they had the scriptures, they saw Elisha, Elijah, I mean, my goodness, man, there's so many miracles, but they just wouldn't accept that this carpenter's son could do some of those miracles. That just doesn't seem reasonable, that the Messiah could be a carpenter. <laughs> I mean, Carpenter is is a very honest living, amen, and very honorable, amen. Number three, relativism. This is dangerous. Today, this is really a problem. Relativism is any theory of ethics or knowledge based on the idea that all values or judgments are relative, differing according to circumstances, according to persons, according to culture. That's what we're living today well, this is who I believe I am. This is my context. And then we're just supposed to say, okay. You know, but that's not where it ends, is it? Now they say, and you need to accept this. You can say, no, I can't. Because if I accept that, now I'm accepting relativism as my authority. See, now I've turned away from biblical authority and I'm going to relativism. So if you're going to buy into this stuff, guys, You're going to buy into this stuff. I'm sorry, you have left off of biblical authority. Well, you see, it just makes it easier to survive at school and work. Well, yeah, well, there's nothing in the Bible that said it's supposed to be easy for the Christians to survive. That's why the cross is on the back. (laughs) Amen? You're supposed to maintain that biblical authority throughout your life. Even though relativism is running rampant, you know, Well, this is the way I feel. Well, I'm sorry, that's not what I believe. Now, you don't have to get in an argument about it. In fact, a lot of that is just plain stupid because they're not willing to listen to you, especially in a crowd, (laughs) you know? You don't go to a big crowd and try to convince them. They're not going to listen to you unless you put it on social media and then you can, you know, blast it out for the next hundred years on a video, you know? So relativism. And so um, with this... There's, there's some other authorities that we need to consider. The one is church authority. I already talked about that. We know that the authority of the Roman Catholic Church, they place the scripture beneath the church. So the scriptures are not exalted above the church. The The church is, is, the scriptures are subservient to the church. You know? And that's danger. Especially because there's a pope, and we call that papal authority. And, you know, that's why throughout the century, since uh, the 300 uh, AD and on, there was all kinds of statements that were made that, you know, and, oh, now there's purgatory. And now, oh, yeah, the Virgin Mary, she's perfect. And, oh, she was immaculately conceived as well, not just Jesus, but the Virgin Mary as well. And these were all papal statements that were made when he, sat, when he, when he spoke ex cathedra. When he speaks that way, it, it, it's, it supersedes the scripture, And that's why to this day, they're still going to priests and they're saying, forgive my sin. That's simply because it became a statement made by a pope, not from the scripture. And that's why we're battling here, right? Because because the Baptist said, no, it's the Bible. I'm not going to confess my sin to a priest. I'm not going to submit to this this pope uh, and what he's saying. I'm going to submit to what the Bible says. Now, the problem was that somehow this Roman Catholic Church got this governmental authority. And the leader of that government said, hey, well, you can use the full extent of the sword of the law to forward your doctrine. And that's when people died. Because that's why we believe so strongly in separation of church and state. There's no church that ever ought to desire to have the authority of the government so they can wield a sword to force people to listen to what they say and to follow after and to make them somehow uh, forcibly uh, conform to our ideas. (laughs) That in itself is against Baptist principles because one of the principles is individual soul liberty. That's another one that evolved out of this. We believe every person has to choose according to their own conscience as it's molded by the word of God what they believe. Amen? Amen. But like I said, that doesn't mean you can just go anywhere you want and say, well, I believe this and and I individual soul liberty. Well, the thing is, this church is based upon a specific faith. And so that's why we have membership. Membership creates a boundary. And that boundary creates a specific faith that we hold to in this word. And so it's not about everybody coming in and individual soul liberty. It's about who's going to submit to the same doctrine that we're believing here, which is we believe historical and goes back to the beginning. So now someone comes along and says, well, I believe this. I saw it on the internet. And it goes against our statement of faith. We say, well, you can't be a member. You're welcome to sit there, but you, you can't infiltrate this church and try to turn people. The moment you do that, I'm going to kick you out. Amen. I had a guy come in. He didn't like the King James Bible. He just was gonna, he's against the King James Bible. It's just not perfect. He says, it's the best Bible, but I don't use it because everybody thinks it's perfect. <laughs> so I'm just like, okay. So you don't want to use the best. Well, I believe it's perfect. I believe it's a Bible that can be absolutely trusted, every word of the book. Amen. Amen. And so I told him, I says, well, that's fine. You're welcome to come. But of course, you can't be a member with that idea. I says, and surely you can't go argue with people in the church. Oh, why not? We as Christians are supposed to be able to debate these. No, there is no debate. Never is there a debate in the house of God. That's not healthy. And that may be okay for Joe Biden and Trump. But that's not for us. Because there's nothing to debate. We already got our faith settled. Amen? We're just wondering who the Lord is bringing in to make this body stronger. Yeah, amen. Right. I'm not here to change what you... If you want to believe what you want, that's why I said, man, there's a thousand churches around us that hold to exactly what you're talking about. Why did you go there? Well, I like this church. Well, why? Well, the fact of the matter is, if we did what you just told us to do, we wouldn't be the church that you like so much. Yeah. We'd be just like them. And then where would you go? <laughs> To another church that believes the King James Bible is the word of God? I mean, my goodness, what's going on here, you know? So it's kind of weird, but that's the way it works. There's creedal authority. You ever heard about the creeds? Well, which creed do we have, Pastor? We don't have a creed. Well, what about the Westminster Confession? Or what about the Osberg Confession? What about the Helvetic Confession of the Reformed Church or the 39 Articles of the Anglican Church? Uh, there's also two ancient patristic creeds held by some, the Apostles' Creed. What about the Nicene Creed? We've got to have some kind of creed here, preacher. No. Nope. No creed. Yeah. We have our own statement of faith. That's all you get. Right, it's an independent body We hold to the scripture, we don't hold to no creed. No creedal authority. Nobody that went before us dictated what we're going to believe here. We have, with our own mind and heart, determined from the scripture what it is we believe is truth, and I'm not going to take on the errors of the past. Because I'll tell you something, a lot of these creeds were built when people didn't have a perfect understanding of a lot of things. We're in a very special time today. That's why I even added the... the, uh, Um, the pre-trib rapture to our statement of faith. Because you know what? That's the battle of the day. It's a prophecy. They thought that was back in the 1800s when they started attacking the Bible. They started having prophecy conferences. I just say, okay, you probably should have had Bible conferences. But they weren't ready for that battle. They didn't understand there was a need for that battle. Uh, there was only a few people, a handful of people that saw the battle unravel. Like uh, Dean Bergeon and guys like this read that, that wrote books against what was happening in their day. They saw these guys bring these transcripts and these, these texts. And he started writing books and warning all the Christians about it. And those books are still unpublished today. I got all of them, you know. That's the battle that was being fought then, but they weren't ready because they, they didn't understand there was a need. Why, why are we fighting against this Bible thing? We've had the same Bible for 400 years. All of a sudden, we need a better one? <laughs> Let's have a prophecy conference. <laughs> I get it. Prophecy was coming on the scene. It was, you know, you think it since the end of days. You know, but now, <laughs> I can't tell you how many people I got to battle with about the rapture and things like that that have a great impact on on the effectiveness of the local church. I I fight for the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ. That means there's nothing that needs to take place for Jesus to come. It keeps you on your toes. It keeps you ready to meet God. The devil wants to steal that away. He wants you to look for the Antichrist, not the Christ. (laughs) And that's why it's a part of our statement not just because we've got a pet doctrine we want to hold on to because i believe it has a great impact in the local church and churches that hold that and this is what i've seen they turn wacky they turn wacky and i don't want to be wacky i want to be a good church amen that's waiting for jesus to come that's being careful because they know that jesus can come at any time so let's make sure we keep our eyes focused and we we care about one another help one another the best we can because the time is coming very shortly. I, I even hesitate to say shortly because that kind of infers a time period. Now. Amen. Now. Hey, Pastor, when's Jesus going to come? Now. That's all I can say. Now. When now? When is it going to happen? Now. <laughs> we, can't, we can't infer time because it's imminent. And that's, there's nothing that needs to take place here. Amen. So creedal authority, cultic authority, extra-biblical writings, you know the Book of Mormon, you have the JWs with the Watchtower magazine. There's a statement that was made within the Watchtower magazine that if you would leave the Bible out and just follow the Watchtower magazine, you would stay in the light. But if if you will cut out the Watchtower magazine and just read the Bible, you'll be in darkness in no time. That is a statement from their own people. And I, I mean, where can you start with the Book of Mormon? <laughs> I mean, my goodness, man, I've done a lot of research in that stuff. And there's people, oh, well, what's the difference? <laughs> the difference is, what is your authority? Yeah. That's a difference. You've got a bunch of Christians there talking about Jesus, but their authority isn't the final word of God. It's some kind of a cultic authority, some extra biblical. That's why you hear a lot about the Book of Enoch. Well, the demons came and they did this. <laughs> that's just plain stupid. Do you understand that? I like that word, stupid. Because that's what it is. Yeah. The scriptures don't talk about that. Amen. Well, the book of Enoch does, and the book of Enoch was only written about 100 years before Jesus. Where, where did Enoch live? When did he live? Yeah. That was quite a bit earlier. It's funny how it just came on the scene in the time of Christ. You know, I got the book of Enoch. I know what it says. I've, it's in some tote somewhere. I remember just trying to read it one time. I said, man, this feels dirty. I just kind of, I didn't want to read it. I just felt that there was a spiritual essence there that I did not want to give myself to. So the book of Enoch, no. <laughs> it's, it's stinking lies. It's filthy. And you know what it's doing? It's attacking the final authority of Scripture. We have 66 books of the Bible. They were given to us by God. The book of Isaiah, which is a tuning fork of the Word of God, has 66 chapters. And I challenge you to go to each chapter and coincide that with each book. It's funny that in, uh, what is it, the 39th or 40th book of the Bible, which is the book of Matthew, also we're talking about the voice crying in the wilderness. The 66th book, we're talking about this new heaven and new earth. The Lord is tuning it. He's saying, I'm going to show you now that there is no other canonization that needs to take place here. The measuring stick has been laid out. Amen. No book of Enoch. (laughs) No book of Thomas. You hear stuff like that, you say, nah, I believe the Word of God. I'm not going to allow myself to be shaken upon the final authority of Scripture. Amen. There's charismatic authority. There's people that will run their heads into a wall because some spirit told them to. And then you tell them what the Bible says. Well, I don't know what the Bible says, but I just know what I experienced. And I know I went through this, so it's got to mean something. Well, what you believe is, is experiential authority. You're no longer believing in biblical authority. You are giving yourself to experience. Because you went through something, that's what now has become your authority in life. And I'm sorry, you're not going to all of a sudden go back next day to biblical authority. You're going to continue on in that authority. You're going to teach your children how to live their life in experience over the scripture. And they're going to fail as a Christian. If they even believe the Bible after that. Then there's cranial authority, like we talked about already many times. Authority of reason. Only what makes sense becomes authoritative to those that hold this view. Then there's conscience authority. Well, conscience is good... Yeah, but conscience is only as good as the as the source of truth that you give it to form it. Yeah. So your conscience, sure, uh, as a little child, the conscience of a child is so moldable, You whatever you give it, it begins to assimilate that, and that conscience develops around that. So your conscience, uh, the Bible says, uh, consciences can be good, they can be weak, they can be evil, and they can even be seared. So they are not good for final authority, you know, but they are a guide if you've got the proper source of truth. So the conscience was given to you to be formed by the scripture. And when it's formed by the scripture, then the Holy Spirit of God can use your conscience to guide you through things. But it's not your conscience that's guiding you. It's the word of God through your conscience. Your conscience becomes a moral governor. And that's why I always say, you know, the Buddhist feels real bad. They didn't give their their food to the idol that day. They're convicted, but not by the Holy Spirit. They're convicted by their own conscience that has been molded to this false idea. So the conscience cannot be your guide. So anybody that, is, is, uh, um, that you talk to, you have to say, hey, we've got to go to the Scripture for the final authority. You can't, you can't base your argument with them on their conscience because their conscience is already set according to what they've been taught. Amen? Amen. So you want to help somebody, you've got to help them understand that God's word is final authority. And then my final one will be done is critical authority. This is the authority given to scholars to question and correct the scriptures based upon their own experience and knowledge. That's what happened in the 1800s. That's why all the dictionaries have changed their meanings. It used to be, look at the 1828 Webster's Dictionary. It used to have Bible verses and Bible truth that would explain what the words meant. But ever since that, the early 1800s on from there, so that's 1828, during that 100 years, during the Victorian age, because everything began to prosper, steam engines and all these wonderful things that are moving forward, with prosperity comes depravity. And sure enough, through the German influence of the teachers from Germany, they began to influence England and the teachers of England being, oh, that makes sense. And now also Noah's flood wasn't a global flood. It's only, it's only uh, local. Now hell can't be forever. God's not like that. <laughs> you know? And now all of a sudden all the dictionaries no longer have the Bible. We're talking about 200 years later. No more Bible. Why is that? That's because of critical authority. Criticizing God right out of your life. You know, you don't listen to those critics. I don't care how many degrees they have. I don't care how smart they think they are. When it it comes down to God looking at you, he's not going to say, what degrees do you have? How smart are you? He's going to say, did you believe me? For without faith, it's impossible to please him. Faith alone, my friend, the just shall live by faith. Amen. Amen. So you could be as dumb as a doornail. And if you believe God, he'll say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Amen? Yes. <laughs> I don't know how dumb a doornail is, but it must be pretty dumb. Amen? doesn't know what to do except just be there. <laughs> Amen? Let's bow our heads. <laughs> Christian, have you settled biblical authority in your life? Because a lot of Christians, I'm not saying that they even purposely do this, but what happens is because of what you go through in life, you begin to shift authority to your reason, to your conscience, to what you think is more reasonable with this situation. Folks, you've got to get back to the Bible. And I know it's going to cost you, it's going to hurt. It hurt Jesus too. But it's going to bring blessing, it's going to bring reward in your life, it's going to bring blessing to your next generation, your children, your grandchildren. They need to see that you're standing upon the word of our God because your position will be known by generations to come. And they'll say, you know what? This is what they believe. This is what they allowed to take place. Stand for Christ. Even if you failed to this point, take a stand right now and say, Lord, I'm going to change my life. I'm going back to the scriptures.